Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media. And today, on the line from Minnesota, I have Mr. Matthew Collar. It's his third time on the show. And Matt, uh, by this point, we're pretty much retiring your jersey you're that big of a deal. How's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing well. I Yeah, I mean, I guess that's if I performed well in the first two appearances, then the third one, it would have been like debut, all-star, and now retirement. Yeah, you're you're just moving Fair down line. the line. Eventually, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, one of those things. And uh, you, you work for a radio station in Minneapolis, uh, 1500 ESPN. You do a lot of Viking stuff. You do some wild stuff. And also, you work for ESPN Insider. You write about hockey for them. So, uh, you know, I want you on the show today because the regular season is is basically done. There's a couple games left. Well, I guess about uh, we're recording this Friday night, so there's, I don't know, 15 games left or so, just one tonight. And I want to get your good, your bad, and your ugly from the regular season. Before we look forward to the playoffs, let's wrap up the regular season. Um, are you cool with that? Yes, I am very cool with that. Okay, well then let's let's hear. What's your what's your first good? What's what's the best story or the one thing that you're really pleased about uh, in regards to the regular season? Well, this was a hard one when you asked me to come up with just uh, you know one or two. It's like wow. I mean, this is, you know a lot of cool things have happened this year. Um, the first thing that came to mind for me was. When you read five years ago that the next Sidney Crosby is coming, that you're, the next Wayne Gretzky is on his way, I don't know about you, John, but just maybe I was a little skeptical uh, of whether Connor McDavid, now this is years ago when we started reading about him, skeptical, okay, yeah, sure, the next Crosby, right, right, right. Then I happened to see him when I was working in Buffalo. I saw him in junior and then I saw him at a prospects game, and then I saw him in his rookie year, and you just kept seeing better and better and better from Connor McDavid. And this year we have seen, I think, a lot of what he can be, and then there's still places to go for him, but a heart trophy-level season, he has just risen to being every bit as great and dominant as he was talked about from five-plus years ago. And watching that happen has been 
just incredible. And that's, I mean, that's the good. Like Edmonton finally being relevant again after so much struggles, good for them. Uh, that Their management really doesn't deserve praise for that because it's Connor McDavid and they won a lottery. But his rise has been at the top of my list for good things and things that I know I'll look back at years from now when he's the one that's not me getting my jersey risen to the Raptors, but he is uh, getting his and potentially making the Hall of Fame. I know putting the heart, uh, cart before the horse here, but like when he's had this great career and we look back at it, it'll be, yeah, that was the year, 2016-17, where he really started to take off and become one of the best players in the league. First of all, I absolutely agree with uh, with your assessment and uh, with with the whole sort of, oh, the next one's coming, you hear about that every couple of years, and it's very much a narr- like uh, an angle that makes your eyes roll. But with McDavid, I mean, it, it ended up obviously working out, and he's he's doing better than probably you could ever ex- expect. And you contrast him with uh, Neil Yakupov. He was known as the next one, obviously not to the same degree as uh, McDavid, but I remember when he was first in the OHL, there were whispers that this guy's like, this guy's the next big thing, and it obviously hasn't worked out uh, whatsoever. He's obviously, uh, you know, way down the totem pole in that regard. But with Connor McDavid, this is the first season. I mean, he's only had two. This is the first one where the Sidney Crosby comparisons look absolutely spot on, and there's a lot of people that are already calling him the best player in the world. Are you ready to, to hand it off from, from Crosby to McDavid? Uh, considering that Crosby has 43 goals to lead the league this year, I'm not ready quite to do that. And since Crosby just won the Stanley Cup last year, no, not yet. I I think McDavid in this year's playoffs has a chance to do something special. He's probably going to need a little more help. I was just looking over the numbers of what Edmonton is like with and without McDavid on the ice. And with McDavid on the ice, they're an elite team. And without him, they're a below-average team. So I think that's going to be pretty tough for him to get all the way through to the Stanley Cup final just now. But, you know, I I did a piece for ESPN Insider uh, last week about McDavid and his potential ceiling and how good he could be. And most of the all-time greats, Lemieux, Gretzky, Crosby, and I even throw Ovechkin in here too, um, what they did from their age 20 season to their peak, he's still got 15 20% more scoring to go if he follows that same path. So we could be looking at years of 110 to 120 points in the future with McDavid, assuming that uh, the team continues to grow, he continues to stay healthy. So it won't be long, but I'm not going to quite give it to him yet when Sidney Crosby's the league leader in goals. It's it's one of those situations where it's almost hard to uh, give him like full credit for the for the Oilers vaulting up the standings because Cam Talbot's also been very good, but without McDavid, mm-hmm. they're 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 scratching and clawing for a playoff spot without him and him and Talbot they're bottom feeders so it's pretty uh it's pretty fantastic what those two guys have been able to do and the other thing too is and i think we sort of just gloss over this just how incredibly difficult it must be to be that guy like you mentioned uh there have been other players who have come along who have been talked about as the next best thing when they were 14 or 15 years old and some of them have become good players some of them have become complete busts but McDavid in the way that he's handled this entire thing from his frown faces when uh Edmonton won the lottery 
through now through his junior. I had a chance to interview him a couple of times, and it's just he he just handles himself so well and with such maturity and it's almost like he doesn't feel any of the pressure that goes along with it I don't know if he's just too young to understand the type of uh, pressure that's being put on him and the expectations that are being put on him but it blows me away how he handles it and how it just seems to have everything slide off his back you never hear him I don't know snapping at the media or you never hear of him having problems with teammates or being arrogant and full of himself or, or any of these things. And it, it's, I mean, I'm sure that he's got a lot of self-confidence with his skill in order to do this, but I think his personality probably deserves credit for why he's been able to maximize his skill and talent too. And now he's still got uh, pounds to put on the frame and he's still got growth uh, to have over the next couple of years. And, just seeing it come alive right in front of us uh, has has made this entire season worth it. Well, I see your McDavid, and uh, I throw across the table Mark Shifley and what he's been able to do this season in terms of elevating to, you could say, superstar status. I think he was an all-star sort of uh, in that second-tier category before, and now I think he's, uh, he's lifted himself to a superstar, you know, top 10 center in the league. You could argue top five. And I, w- I went to his hockey DB page, and as as an aside, I don't know if you realize this, but you know the little headshots they have on hockey DB. Yes, yes. So you can press those, and it goes through the guys like years. I didn't realize that, but if you keep clicking on it, you can see like rookie, second year, and it's all the different headshots. A little uh, life hmm. life hack for you. But I was on it on uh, his hockey DB, and I started to break down. You know how how many points per game has he gotten over his career, and sort of how has he developed. In his rookie year, he had 0.54 points per game. Year two, 0.6. Year three, 0.86. And then this year, 1.04. So a steady incline. And and, and this is all while he's got a more responsibility uh, on the Jets. He's clearly their number one. He, you know, Patrick Liney comes in the league, and right away they, they find the chemistry, and they've become really – one of the better dynamic duos already in the league, and it's uh, it's only one year into Line's career. So I've been really impressed with Shifley and his development, and especially this year, kind of taking it a step further. And I'm not saying he's plateaued, but he's he's definitely you know in the conversation as one of the better players in the game now. I would say he's probably the least appreciated superstar in the league, uh, considering his production. It's not just that too that he's become a solid all-around player in my eyes but you know the the Jets man like they were kind of like a favorite to be a breakout team I thought if any team could go from the bottom to the top of their division it would be the Winnipeg Jets because Shifley is their superstar leader and Patrick Laine coming in I had very high expectations for Patrick Laine I would put that under the good too Laine and Austin Matthews uh this year and even uh Matt Kachuk too I would put him the rookie class just being so absurd and exciting for hockey. But when you bring up the Jets and Shifley, it's just so much disappointment with that team. That That's one that would fall under my bad or ugly because I expected them with all the up-and-coming talent to really take a step forward. And it was just same old Jets. It was same old poor goaltending playing guys that are really mediocre, especially on the blue line, not being able to figure out how to build that blue line around Dustin Bufflin. 
that to me has just been the biggest disappointment. How do you have these two mega star anchor forwards who are playing 20 minutes a night and scoring like crazy, and you still can't even get in the conversation for the playoffs? It's been it's been kind of amazing to watch that a team with that level of talent couldn't get there. No, it's it's really baffling if you look at their core and you know their their prospect pool and. The fact that they're not even really that young. I mean, they have some some veterans like the Blake Wheelers and Dustin Bufflins and a couple other guys where it's not like these guys are the youngest team in the league. It just there's something about the Jets where one, the goaltending is a huge issue, and two, they just can't seem to put it together. And Paul Maurice, I don't I think he's at that point in in his career as a coach where you don't make the playoffs in X amount of years, I think maybe you at least have an influence on this, on the situation. He's one of the, he has a, one of the worst winning percentages as a coach uh, really in the NHL of all time. So I don't know if that, that's completely for him uh, or on his plate, but there's just, there's some question marks there, but the core is just so strong. It, it has to be somewhat on him though. I mean, from like you mentioned, I think I, I did the numbers on this with him that he's been a head coach like 21 years or something and made the playoffs six times. I mean, it's just, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me on the hockey DB, but it's an incredibly small number of times that he's had any sort of success. And you just wonder how does he get jobs and keep them for so long? I mean, Carolina was, kind of the same thing it was like man this team has enough talent to compete and yet they don't and here we are with this coach still and then eventually he gets fired and you know who knows but I think this would be a probably good time to do it um to because you have line a he will be coming into his prime you have Shifley in his prime and other players too I mean like Ehlers is an exciting player too so you've got all this young talent it might be the perfect time to, I don't know what they need better. I haven't, I can't say I've watched, I've watched way more McDavid than Winnipeg because they haven't been relevant all year, but I don't know. Maybe do you need a little more structure there? Do you need, it it can't be just a total coincidence that every goalie that steps in between the pipes can't stop anything in Winnipeg, right? It can't just be that they're all bad. I mean, I, I tend to think that coaches and systems and things like that have an effect on how good your goaltending is. And year after year after year, they can't get a stop. I feel like there has to be some sort of connection there. But if it might be now would be the right time and not wait another year to make a coaching change there. Yeah, before we get to the bad and the ugly, which we've kind of veered off into with the Jets, let's let's steer back into the good. Do you have any other good stories that, that you have on your on your mind right now that that really just stick out? I, I do, yeah. I, Torts and Boudreaux are the other things yeah. that I wrote down. I mean, John Tortorella was kind of, by most people, sort of done after Vancouver. Like, oh, that guy's never going to get another chance again. He really blew it up there and uh, kind of ended up making himself look really bad with that incident with Calgary, and no one's going to give him a chance again. And then when he was hired, there was a lot of snark and, oh, great, now he's going to have uh, Columbus blocking shots and things like that. And to see him turn it around, not only that franchise that has been so bad for so long, but also just himself and his attitude. Uh, I I don't believe that zebras changed their stripes completely, but it seems like he took some of the time in between to make some changes to how his team plays. This Columbus team does not look like 
the, the teams that Tortorella is famous for, packing it in around the goalie, right? And he does he does have great goaltending this year with Bobrovsky, which has helped. But uh, you know he doesn't do the morning skates anymore, which I think is really smart because when you look at the numbers and how many miles guys skate over a year, you're just adding senseless workload to guys who are playing every other night, right? It's just a, a smart thing, and he's paying attention and learning. That's not something that I think people thought of when they thought John Tortorella. That's been cool. And Bruce Boudreaux has taken a franchise that I think most people thought of as floundering in the middle and just floating around eighth place wild card team with no real direction and made them a legitimate Stanley Cup contender this year. And he's gotten the most out of a lot of players that were disappointing before. Charlie Coyle's had a good year. Uh, Jason Zucker's had a good year. Mikel Granlund has stepped up to finally be the Mikel Granlund that people expected from him. Jonas Brodeen was way down last year. He's taken a big step forward. And so now Bruce Boudreau gets another shot in the playoffs, and we'll see if he can actually get his team all the way through to the Stanley Cup final this year. But I think both of those guys have good arguments for the Jack Adams. Also, I would throw Babcock in this too, taking a team of young guys who weren't supposed to be ready and putting them, as we speak, on the doorstep of the playoffs. Uh, we'll see if Toronto blows that but um you know i think i think those those two specifically though tortorella and boudreau uh bouncing back from getting fired in low places to to be in the playoffs again has been a great story yeah tortorella has been really just a, a 180 he was the villain of the world cup of hockey in september and then you know snap of the finger he's got the blue jackets off to a good start and you're like okay yeah okay we'll see how this goes we'll see how long this lasts and then you know, you hear about stuff like the morning skate getting eliminated and you go, oh, John Tortorella, I never thought he'd be the guy to, to really implement that. Um, and, you know, just, you know, Cam Atkinson has 34 goals. Didn't see that one coming. Zach Wierenski has been incredible. I don't know if that's Tortorella, maybe a little bit, maybe just Zach Wierenski. So there's just so many things that have gone well for Columbus and they've, they've slid a bit towards the end of the season, but they're still, they're going to play the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round and, I don't know, it's not a walkover for Pittsburgh, so that's a huge win for them. Um, and if I could just transition into a my last, I'm just gonna rile off uh, a couple good, feel good stories from the season. And uh, the Ottawa Senators, not necessarily them, you know, making the playoffs. That's a good story in itself, I guess. But uh, Craig Anderson being able to battle through his mm-hmm. wife's uh, cancer and actually play good, like he has good numbers. And uh, also Clark MacArthur coming out of nowhere to to come back. He, yeah. I could have sworn I heard the word retirement. I, I could have sworn he was, you know, the chances of him coming back were so minuscule. And then all of a sudden he's back in the lineup. I don't know what sort of impact he's going to have as they go into the playoffs. But, I mean, it's, it's good that he's playing hockey. That means he's healthy again. So those two uh, on the Senators and also Andrew Cogliano. He's now at 785 straight games to start his career. It's just an incredible streak, and I feel like it, it it doesn't get as much attention as it as it deserves. Like, how how do you play that many games in a row and not not sit one out? Two more, just two more for me. Then uh, yeah. two Russians, Radulov and Kucherov. Radulov coming back to the NHL, and what a season he's had. And Nikita Kucherov put him in the category of the elite players in the league. He has carried Tampa Bay to give them a shot without Steven Stamkos. He's over a point per game, and he's risen up to just be a dynamic offensive force. 
and it's that's been that's been fun to watch his rise too. Coming out of the last year's playoffs where he was virtually unstoppable, and now uh, what he's done this year too. Both of those guys have been fantastic, and the Radulov thing. Um, it, it was overshadowed his signing by the big trade with Shea Weber and PK Subban. And it was kind of like, Oh, they also signed Radulov. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, that when he plays, he's really, really good. We'll see what he does in the playoffs. If he like, you know, shows up on time or goes to bed on time or whatever it was, <laughs> that was the problem in Nashville. He is a great, great all around player. And it's, uh, Good, good to have you back, Alex. Yeah, Radulov has the best celebrations too. I love when he scores. He's like, it's like he's a little kid again every time. That's the thing, right? Like with players, and, and you know, sometimes they get certain reputations, or he's not a good team guy, or this or that, and it's really hard to know, right? Because you watch him play, and he's really tough at both ends of the ice, and he seems to be having a great time playing for Montreal. I think he's going to be a major impact player. Uh, when it comes to the playoffs, because he is like built for playoff hockey with his his size and his two way talent, and uh, Montreal much much better team overall this year because they have him. Let's backtrack to your uh, Kucherov rant. I actually had the Lightning in the bad, but mostly because they've they've just had such bad luck. So it was kind of a weird way to to fit him into the conversation. But as we transition into the the bad portion of this podcast, I had Tampa in there. They've had the worst luck with Stamkos going down with Callahan, who's, you know, a, a support player going down for most of the season. Uh, Johnson went down recently and, you know, they ship guys out of the deadline and they're still, very, you know, they're somewhat close to a playoff spot. I just think in general, their, their season has been sort of, I don't know, just, they're just running into wall after wall. And, you know, without the performances of, of a Kucherov, of a Victor Hedman who has 70 points and also playing against the best players on the other team every night and playing a lot. Uh, he's just been phenomenal right up there with Carlson and, and Burns for the Norris. Without those two guys and John Cooper kind of right in the ship, uh, it could have been a disaster. So bad luck. That's why they're in the bad category. But you gotta you got to clap your hands a bit for what Tampa's been able to at least kind of salvage of the season because it, it started off so poorly and they just could never really recover. The, yeah, the bad is that Victor Hedman's not going to win the Norris Trophy. That's the bad. <laughs> there you go. Because there's just so much emphasis always in hockey on, but what did you win, right? Like, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury couldn't stop a puck in the playoffs for five straight years. It was like, oh, Crosby, you're not a good leader anymore, right? It just It's always become such a big part of the narrative, and I, I guess I would – for a heart trophy, I would see the case. Like, if you were the MVP, your team should probably make the playoffs. Yeah. But when it comes to the best defenseman, I mean, 70 points and the best all-around play, a gigantic, incredible skater who plays huge minutes all the time, and he's deserved it to be up in that category for a couple of years now, and this is his best season so far, and he's not going to get it just because other things went wrong around him, not anything he did. Ben Bishop couldn't stop a puck for the first two months of the season either. Ben Bishop could have easily bailed them out. I mean, easily is, you know, relative. But Ben Bishop could have bailed them out with losing Steven Stamkos, and instead he kind of forgot how to play for a couple of months there, and that really hurt them. And Vasilevsky didn't step up the way he was supposed to. So it's like Victor Hedman is going to be robbed of of an award he definitely deserves, 
just because his goaltending wasn't really that good and the depth at forward was really bad. And it turns out that Tyler Johnson, just to be honest, is really not that good. Tyler Johnson is kind of a one-season wonder, and when he's away from Kucherov, he's really not all that tremendous, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, they were asking a lot from Tyler Johnson to carry a team when Steven Stamkos is out, other than, you know, Kucherov carrying them. And again, Hedman's the one who's getting punished because he can't get his award. Likely. I mean, maybe, maybe. Things have changed with a lot of the voters and the way they look at things. But it's still, I think it's it's a stretch to say that he's going to win it now that they're not going to make the playoffs are very likely as we speak yeah i think it's carlson and and burns in terms of what voters think or or what the the mainstream opinion is i think headman yeah if they make the playoffs i think that that would have been a really hard decision between the three of them but them not making the playoffs or their their chances are very slim at this moment um really hurts his chances another bad thing uh that i'm going to throw on is the takes the, the hot takes, the lukewarm takes, the cold takes about the Adam Larson, Taylor Hall trade. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about it because they're just, they're two different players in two different situations. Uh, you know, two teams in different parts of their quote unquote rebuild. And there's just, there's constant kind of infighting. I guess maybe I should spend too much time on Twitter or something, but I just, <laughs> the whole like, okay, Adam Larson, good hockey player, Taylor Hall, good hockey player. I, I personally like Taylor Hall better and I wouldn't have, just giving him up for Adam Larson, but I see where the Oilers were coming from, so I don't think there's there's really any reason to have it seems like a daily debate over over this trade. Uh, have you gotten sick of it, or is it, am I just spending too much time on Twitter? Like I said, uh, you might be spending a little too much time on Twitter. I would <laughs> say that I could be accused of having some of those hot takes because I think it's just about one of the worst trades that I've ever seen. And just because Edmonton is making the playoffs because of Connor McDavid doesn't mean that you won the trade. So there's that. I did write down in my bad uh, New Jersey because you got Taylor Hall. And then the only other thing you did was what? Sign Ben Lovejoy. <laughs> I mean, okay, so that was the plan. What is the plan? I, I understand when someone comes to you and says, we'll give you a top five even strength point producer over the last five years for this like pretty okay defenseman that you have to say yes. But what the heck is New Jersey's plan? Because So they wanted to be toward the bottom, but then they kept an elite goaltender over the last few years. And then they trade for an elite scorer, but the goaltender starts to fall off because you don't have any defense anymore. It's like you're just chasing your tail around in circles and you don't have any elite prospects to show for it. Like Pavel Zaka, okay, I mean, he's a guy, but he's not a, a high, high-end guy. What I don't understand is a few years ago when Ray Shiro took over, why they didn't trade Corey Schneider when he was playing really well and try to get a top pick or something like that and go full rebuild, play an AHL goalie, try to go all the way to the bottom. I mean, think about the prospects that have been drafted at the top. I mean, you've had Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, Patrick Laine, Austin Matthews, and they reduced their own chances at getting any of those players that are real franchise-changing players by having an elite goaltender that just kept winning them two-to-one games. And so the direction in New Jersey just looks like you're going to be spinning your wheels for a very, very long time, even though you made a good trade to get Taylor Hall. I hadn't really thought about it that way, where 
They have the goaltending figured out. They have one elite scorer. But other than that, what do they have? It's it's sort of two guys on an island, and the rest of the team is, you know, ranges from below average to average to you know okay. <laughs> there's just there's no sort of punch. There's no support there. And and what is the what is the blue line for them? I mean, did, I I would really like to know. Did they go into this year legitimately thinking? Oh yeah, we're going to be really good this year. Because if they did, like what, what, where, how did you think that with that sort of blue line? With Larson there, you're still bad on the blue line because you lack any sort of depth outside of an average top pair. And then you take him out of the mix, and you've got basically nothing to really show there. So yeah, you added a, a one-dimensional scorer to the mix, but I mean, they kind of look like. In a way, I guess it's almost like when Edmonton had Taylor Hall too. It was like, <laughs> well, you've got Taylor Hall as a scorer, but you've got, in their case, they had no goaltending, but they also had poor defense for a very, very long time, and you just wondered, what's the plan here? And then, of course, they get the luckiest thing ever, and it changes their franchise, and maybe that will happen with New Jersey too. But this year, there is no Connor McDavid, and there's no Austin Matthews. Like, Top picks are good, but there's a there's varying ranges of how good those top picks are. So I feel like they're going to be even if they win the lottery, they're going to be in a tough spot. And maybe by the time that they get some of the top prospects up, you've got Taylor Hall getting into the latter half of his prime. It just seems like a mishandled situation completely since Ray Shiro got there. Yeah, the Devils. I don't think anyone would dispute have, have been bad this year. You could say worse than that. But you know what team has been ugly? The Colorado Avalanche have been, uh, I'm not going to say historically bad, but bordering on historically bad. And, you know, we can't we can't not talk about them in the ugly section because just nothing has gone well for them. They're, they're good players, the ones that they were trying to put up in, you know, shining lights and, and try to, you know, get whatever they could at the deadline. They didn't even have good seasons. Nathan McKinnon had arguably the best season out of their, you know, Duchesne, McKinnon, and Rantanen, and, and their whole group there. Um, and no one let, – let me let me just say this. They don't have a 20-goal scorer right now. That that pretty much sums things up for, <laughs> for the Avalanche. And to put that in context, there's – I looked at it the other night. Um, there's 26 30-goal scorers in the league. So there's almost one per team, and they can't even get a 20-goal scorer. Um, and they're the worst uh, team in terms of defense. They allow 3.38 goals per game. Last in offense, only two goals per game, right on the button, 2.00. And that, that offense is nice and close to the tank the tank years of, of the Buffalo Sabres. So that says a lot right there. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were kind of – they were they were kind of uh, fighting a losing battle from the start with Patrick Wall just piecing out a, a month before the season. That's not a perfect scenario. I don't think many teams could have recovered from that. Depends on your talent level, but oh man, it's been ugly wire to wire for Colorado. Well, well, is it under bad or is it under ugly? It's That's under. Uh, that was my transition into ugly. I, I'm saying the the Devils are bad, and the Avalanche they're just plain ugly. Okay. All right. Uh, with, with the Avalanche, what amazes me about that situation is that they had a core of players that said Stanley Cups, right? I mean, top draft picks, 
McKinnon, Duchesne, Landeskog, these are your three guys who are going to lead you to the promised land. Tyson Berry's a nice defenseman, but they tried to go all in. Instead of just continuing and staying the course, they tried to go all in with players like, what, Mark Stewart they picked up to try and fill out their defense. I mean, this is, I'm going back a year or two, yeah. but, you know, Jerome Ginla they brought in, and it was just like they – uh, Francois Beauchemin and these these moves that just didn't really make a whole lot of sense where you probably needed to be much more savvy than they were to see if collapse and fall apart like this with so much talent at, at the top really makes you wonder about those guys too like these are your top picks but are any one of these guys really a player that could take you the distance and maybe the next guy will be, but I think that we should have the idea that neither McKinnon, Duchesne, or Landeskog are that Patrick Kane or Sidney Crosby or Jonathan Taves or, or one of those players that are so good that they can rise up a team's level, that they're all nice players, but they need somebody else that's going to be that truly elite player. Because I don't look at any of those guys like that. I, think- I mean, they're all good. I, I would take them on my team but I don't look at them like uh, I would look at an Austin Matthews say or even um, at some point Jack Eichel will be this too if the Sabres can figure out their own defense they should go under the bat also but for that, this year that's with, a good uh, expectations that's a good comparison because Eichel's still played well put up points even though the Sabres have been struggling in their rebuild right so that's a good example whereas i mean mckinnon's probably the closest comparable in terms of cornerstone players and it's kind of hard right like the avalanche have been so terrible this year that it's hard to you know really um, expect much from anyone but mckinnon hasn't had the best year i think he's got 50 51 points it's not uh it's not like you know uh, something that that he should you know shake his head at, but it's not not necessarily something to be proud about. So I, I see where you're coming from, but I think McKinnon might be the one out of uh, out of that crew of of the core forwards that that still I think if he maybe gets to a better situation or just Colorado cleans it up sooner than later, I think maybe he can be that guy. Yeah, and they probably too are in a position. I, I know as a management, you never want to be the team that trades a top pick and has it turn out like the Sagan deal or something, uh, because then you're just made fun of forever and probably get fired. Um, but at the same time, Duchesne or Landeskog or both, I think I would probably trade Duchesne before Landeskog. It seems like something has to change there though, right? I, I mean, it, yeah, it's the rest of the roster and the goaltending wasn't good either this year. And that really sunk them to the very, very bottom but they've had these guys as their core leaders for a while now, a couple of years, and it just doesn't ever seem to get the job done. And before, people blamed Patrick Waugh, and it very well could have been Patrick Waugh's fault. I thought it was that they had no depth, really. But maybe Patrick Waugh was just too old school for you know the game in, in 2015. Uh, but at the same time, you, know, you just have these, these flawed skill players who would fit in better. It's a, I think of it like Phil Kessel, right? Yeah. Phil Kessel is amazing. He's a fantastic player, but he wins the Stanley Cup as a third-line winger because that's the reality of what he is as just a one-dimensional speedster who can score off the rush. And I think of Duchesne as maybe kind of the same way. 
And, you know, Landeskog not being a good enough scorer to be a top-line dominant player, he's not like a Marion Hosa who could score 80 points or more, more in his prime. He's just like a good player who, if he's on your second-line wing complementing a real superstar, then he's great. But in this role, it's a little too much. So it's like they have to hope to win the lottery this year and then potentially move one of these guys out because I think that they could get a lot for any of them uh, from a real contending team. Now, let's transition to another team. I think we've ripped the, the avalanche enough. <laughs> What's, what, or maybe not to a team, maybe to a player, maybe to a line, maybe to a defense pairing. What's your ugly contribution? Uh, my ugly contribution is goaltender Cam Ward, who ah. played 60 games this year. Cam Ward has not even been an average goaltender for about the last six years. Not even league average with his save percentage. And yet, somehow, Carolina thinks it's an okay idea to play him 60 games. Now, maybe they thought Eddie Lack would be the guy who would take his job, but Eddie Lack didn't show any signs of that last year. Cam Ward was a free agent. They could have easily just let him walk, and instead... He plays 60 games, and they make no attempt to trade for anybody else. You could put in whatever AHL goalie you want. Whoever's got the highest save percentage in the AHL, put them in the NHL right now, and they'll do just as good or better than Cam Ward. And Carolina's management seems to be so stuck on him that they have sunk their franchise because of it. I actually thought that Carolina, even though they didn't score a ton this year, uh, showed some signs of having some potential with the draft picks that they've put together and some, some good young players. And once again, Jeff Skinner scores a bunch and some good defensemen that they have too coming along. And yet the goaltending has been so poor, it's given them no chance to compete. If they even had average goaltending, I think they'd be right where the Islanders are right now. Like maybe not in the playoffs, but right in that conversation. And it's he's ugly in terms of his play for like five straight years. And it's a really ugly choice and has made Carolina look very bad when their team isn't that bad. I just wonder if he didn't have that cup ring, would they even consider him? I just feel like it's sort of a legacy uh, contract where it's like, oh, you've been with us for so long. The goalie market isn't great. Uh, we could get a better goalie, but we're going to stick with you because we know who you are and you know you have the history with us. That's what it feels like because, like you said, he doesn't have – the statistics to back it up it's not like they've been in the playoffs recently and he went on some run and they have some sort of you know big mm -hmm. big name or sorry big game uh tag on him it's just he, didn't they win in 2006 it's been a long time yeah yeah i mean that's a decade ago <laughs> i mean like you're really still playing this guy based on that and he wasn't i think he wasn't even that good like the next year after that, where most teams would move on. I mean, Chicago won the Stanley Cup with Anthony Miemi, and then they were, all right, bye. Like, we'll just find somebody else who's just as good or better. I mean, the replaceability of goaltenders makes this even more mind-blowing, right? Like, okay, so uh, Cam Talbot is a pretty good backup. All right, he now he's a good starter. Uh, Frederick Anderson is like an okay player. Now he's a pretty good starter. You can find these guys around and you could trade for them at a relatively low price or even just sign somebody out of free agency and hope that it works out. I mean, Brian Elliott had a really bad start to the year, but he's worked out okay. 
you know, Chad Johnson over the last couple of years. And these are like random guys, not Elliott so much, but like you'll see every once in a while a random guy like Chad Johnson turns out to be a halfway decent contributor to your team, an average goalie, and yet they've stuck with this incredibly bad goaltender for so long. And I just cannot figure it out because, like, do they have different stats that we don't have or something about him that say he's secretly good? Because I must be missing something. Yeah, I have no idea. And they're, the Hurricanes are a weird team in terms of, you know, they do certain things really well. Like they had that crazy bordering on, bordering on historic penalty kill at one point. And, and it, they, they had that great penalty kill for like most of the season. It wasn't just, you know, 10 games in, look at how well they're doing. It was like half the year, look at how well they're doing. Um, it's obviously gone down, but they still had a really good penalty kill start to finish. And they have Ajo, who had a great year. Skinner, like you mentioned before, putting up goals. He has 35 goals. Uh, Lynn Holmes coming. They made a, a they, they made a great move to get Tara Vinen, who yeah. isn't a superstar, but he's a very good player. They have a lot of sort of B players. I, I would I would say between Lindholm, Rask, Jordan Stahl, Tara Vinen, Stepniak, Skinner's probably the closest one to a star. But that that's not a bad thing. That can get into the playoffs having all those pieces and then a very good back end. But if your goalie's letting in every other shot, I mean, good luck, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that they could have been competitive. And at some point, you know, they've been rebuilding now for how long? I mean, they've been kind of stacking up these guys who are drafted fairly high, but never quite high enough. It's always been, like, they're just they're just good enough not to be, it's like New Jersey, just good enough not to be incredibly bad. That's the one thing I would give Colorado credit for. Like, if you're going to be bad, be that bad. And then you've got your great chance to get your franchise-changing player uh, but with this Carolina team, every year they go into uh, the next season like, oh, yeah, we're going to make noise this year. And then they hire the worst goalie in the NHL. And that, it, it, that just it just baffles me. I, I, I would love to hear an earnest explanation for why he is still the goaltender. I uh, know. We should uh, get Ron Francis on the phone right now. Um, <laughs> so another ugly performance of the 2016-17 season is Detroit Red Wings forward Riley Sheehan and his zero goals. This guy has not scored. He's played 78 games, 106 shots, and zero goals. That's He's played actually more than 1,000 minutes. I don't know how you don't score on a fluke goal or, uh, you know, it goes off your skate or, you know, you just you have your chance and you, you actually score. You convert on that chance. I don't know how that hasn't happened. Obviously, it's, there's been some poor luck and – you know, that sucks. I feel bad for him. But at the same time, I'm sort of little, like just a little bit cheering for him not to get a goal in the last couple of games just because, I mean, not scoring as a forward for an entire season where you play almost every game, that's unheard of. And, you know, Riley Sheehan has just had an ugly season. I had a Detroit-related one written down too. Perfect. I just wrote Detroit's future. Um, if you look at their contract situation, they have a ton of guys who are over 30 who they can't trade and no one would take if they could. And I just don't know how they're going to get back to contention, especially when you look around. Toronto is not going anywhere. They're going to be good for a very, very long time. 
Buffalo should be on the rise. Now, I don't really trust their general manager, but they should be with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Ristolainen, and their young core. They should be on the rise. It's possible that they go full Colorado, but let's just say that they're going to be one of the better teams. Florida should bounce back if Ekblad is okay. His injury, uh, the concussion, is pretty concerning. But, you know, they, they missed Barkov for a part of the year. They missed Huberto. I think that they'll bounce back maybe once their management kind of gets it together. Um, but they've got enough young talent where, like, they should be pretty good. So you're looking around saying, all right, you've got these teams in the division who are going to be pretty good for a while, and Montreal's not going anywhere as long as Carey Price is still playing. How does Detroit get back into that mix with all these older players who are way past their prime? And sorry, like Dylan Larkin is a nice player, but he's not a Connor McDavid. It, you know, he, he's not a just put him in and he's going to completely change your franchise. I don't know how they rebuild that team because tearing it down is going to be so difficult. And there are other teams where you're like, all right, you know, rip a few pieces off, go to the bottom, get a couple of guys, rise back up. In this case, so many players with really bad contracts that I think that's going to be very, very, very difficult for them, and they're going to be down for a while. I couldn't agree more. And they have a couple, like you said, Dylan Larkin, nice piece. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu, nice piece. Anthony Manta, like they don't have any, it's not like they don't have anyone, but it's not like they have, like you said, a Jack Eichel or this, this cornerstone where they can start building around because they have these contracts like a Darren Helm, or even even Henrik Zetterberg, he's still a really good player, but he's getting older and his contract's still there. And you can go up and down the list, and they just have issues from top to bottom in terms of on the defense, at forward, and I don't know. Ken Holland needs to completely strip it down. He needs to forget about you know the ego that he has, and and it's earned. It's an earned ego. He's been so good for so long, but at some point you got to go it's time to start over because it's just the glory years are over. And in today's NHL, it's very difficult to rebuild on the fly, especially when he's rewarded a lot of the veterans that have gotten them, you know, championships, but they're just way past their due now. Yeah. And you talk about a team that just didn't understand their own timeline and who they are. I mean, even you go back to the Mike Green signing and you have to ask, why? Why another older player when your team is fading? Were you just hoping to get to ace place and make another playoff appearance and keep the streak going? Or were you hoping to build something for the long term because you knew that uh, Zetterberg and Datsuk were done being elite players for the most part or that Datsuk was going to go back to the KHL? So you, you know that uh, your, Nick Lidstrom isn't walking through the door and this is your solution? A guy who's older and extremely flawed, even when he was in his prime. I, I mean, I remember hearing that contract, and someone, someone presented to me this way: uh, three years, six million. I said, "Oh, three years, six million. That's a pretty good deal for him." No, six million a year. Like, <laughs> a little oh. different. Yeah, that is a little different. And then you know, Franz Nielsen, they bring into another contract where you just thought. Why? Why Franz Nielsen? He should be going to a team that is actually going to be competitive, and he's not going to turn you around. He's not. You're not going to bring in Nielsen, and all of a sudden, well, all right, we're back to being relevant again. So a lot of moves there that kind of reeked of desperation, uh, rather than having a clear understanding of where they were going. So they they were 
solidified in my in my ugly. Can I give you another one of my ugly? Yeah, I was gonna say if you have any uglies, throw them out there. Uh, NHL management, just across the board, uh, concussions. That are, are have we acknowledged yet NHL that concussions uh, have long term effects? Or are we still denying that? Right, that's one. Um, the Olympics, they're not going. That is extremely frustrating to everyone. And rule changes. Hey, thank goodness the goalies have new pants because save percentage is exactly the same. <laughs> and they just keep making silly changes and silly rules and reviews that nobody wanted of offsides and things like that that slow down the game and make it less enjoyable. And they don't want to change the playoff format. They don't want to change it to three to one point system that would be much more fair. Uh, everything across the board when you talk to hockey fans nobody loves their sport more than hockey fans love hockey and every person to a man will tell you yeah the 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 people who run this league just are totally clueless to what we actually want as fans and again for the whatever straight year they have not addressed the number of penalties in the league and how far down it's gone it has been at historic lows for three four years now and scoring isn't going up because of that, not because of goalies' pants. So, that, I mean, each one of these issues I could have a separate, very long rant about, but I'll just leave it at those. Well, I'll rant very shortly about uh, the Olympic issue, more so just the whole not going to South Korea because they want to go to China. China's more of a, you know, more of a score, a bigger market. I don't understand that. I understand that argument in a sense. Okay. Yes. China's a huge market. You want to tap into that. You want China to, to really grab on to the NHL, but South Korea is also a huge market. You can build up some momentum through that Olympics. Four years later, you hit out of the park with China. I don't understand why they're so different. They're both in Asia. They're both very, you know, affluent uh, countries, and why not just make it kind of an eight-year plan where you attack South Korea with your marketing, and then you attack China with your marketing, and it becomes, at the end of the China Olympics, oh, it's been eight years of the Asian market, you know, being interested in us. Now they're starting to buy merch. Now we're, you know, we're going to do exhibition games in both countries uh, once a year. I I don't understand why the NHL is separating the two and why they're not embracing South Korea as... Not necessarily as an equal to China, but as, you know, it's it's little brother or something. Yeah, with complete respect to all of your correct points that you made, I really can't get around to caring if they make more money or not. I would just like to one time see the NHL do something that is good for their fans and that their fans actually want. Like, I mean, just throw out, throw out the money, throw out the everybody yelling at each other. Where, show me where it's actually made a difference. Here's where it's made a difference. I got to see Ryan Kessler make an incredible play to score an empty net goal against Canada. I got to see Dominic Hasek make an unbelievable save against Eric Lindros. I got to see TJ Oshie score a ton of shootout goals. These are things that stick with me forever as a hockey fan and make me love your game so whether you're building it worldwide or not you're giving your hockey fans uh, great memories and your players great memories for the entire time that they enjoy hockey for the rest of their lives and that i mean that matters to your marketing solidifying fans to so they don't feel like everything is about just the dollars to you 
and that maybe you would just care a little about really awesome hockey that your fans got to enjoy. You know, I mean, ask anybody, like, tell me, tell me what you think of the Olympics. And right off the top of their head, depending on, I gave you a bunch of American ones or <laughs> one with Dominic Hasek or, but you know, I mean, with uh, you Canadian people, I'm sure you have a bunch of your own. So it's, something that you could ask any person and they've got tons of great memories from the NHL players playing in the Olympics. Why would you not want that just for your fans who are here in North America who really, really want to enjoy good hockey? Yeah. It's... I know it's more complicated than that, but it, it, sometimes it's like, thank God we got goalie pants though. Like at least you <laughs> took care of that. No, but you're, you make a very valid point where, <laughs> You know, you're creating memories and not to sound too corny, but it, it ends up being priceless. It ends up being where, you know, you mention all those memories off the top of your head. And then I think of quote unquote golden goal by uh, Sidney Crosby, uh, you know, the world. Junior- I don't recall. I don't remember that. <laughs> the world juniors. What's is- that again? <laughs> the world juniors is huge in Canada because it creates memories. People get all excited because they're huddled around the TV. Like why not embrace that at a professional level? Yeah. You won't make the money that you think you're going to make because you're going across the world and, and all the kind of the, all the background noise associated with that. But there's kind of, there's a priceless price tag to it, if that makes any sense. Um, Oh, I mean, even, even at an individual level though, like think about when we talk about Sidney Crosby's legacy, that a big part of it is all of his gold medals, right? I mean, and uh, Mikel Granlund has this incredible Olympics for Team Finland and solidifies himself as a, a special player to people in Finland, but also people in Minnesota, too, who gather around TVs in sports bars to watch uh, the Olympics and saw their player, and it matters. Uh, Ryan Miller, when he came home back to Buffalo after that, what was it, 2010, would it have been? Uh, it was a really special thing. I mean, the national media showed up to, to Buffalo, um, and, and Miller kind of elevated his superstardom and his fan interest around his name. I mean, that's the thing. Did anyone know who TJ Oshie was outside of, like, <laughs> you and I before the no, Olympics? And it, then he all definitely of a sudden, people know who he is. No, I agree. So it matters. Uh, it's it's an ugly situation to sum things up. <laughs> and uh, that'll kind of wrap up our uh, good, bad, and ugly. We should have gone backward. Now I'm, like, angry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we started off so happy and talking about Mark Shifley and Connor McDavid. I'm really excited about the playoffs. But we're going to – hold on. We're going to end up on – we're going to keep it regular season and end on a high note. I want to hear your uh, your award picks. And I didn't tell you to prepare for this, so, you know, you can just fire them off off the top of your head. Well, who's your Hart Trophy winner? I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to go too far off the board here. Uh, McDavid is is for the heart. I would say you know, you heard my Norris earlier is Victor Hedman. Sergei Bobrovsky has been I think head and shoulders above the next goaltender for for Vesna. Um, Selkie's tough. Selkie might take me a little more investigation into seeing who's who's played the toughest minutes yeah, and things yeah. like that. Um, it's probably one of the usual suspects, although. It, I would say that uh, Miko Koivu has had a really great year and has been really important to the Wild getting back to uh, being a really excellent team or getting to being an excellent team for the first time in a very long time. So I, I would throw his name out there for consideration, though I understand he's probably not going to win it. What about Calder? I'm assuming Matthews is just a, a check mark at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Line A did everything he possibly could um, as a rookie, but uh, the fact that he's Matthews has been the centerpiece of this uh, Toronto team has been really incredible. And um, yeah, he, he deserves to, to have the Calder. Did I miss any? And Jack Adams, I would lean toward Mike Babcock, I think with the Jack Adams. Okay. Yeah. That's you may, you could uh, argue all of your, all of your uh, picks very well. And uh, th- I think the Hedman one would be the only one that a lot of people would go, what about Carlson? What about Burns? And I would probably, I, I haven't really looked into it, but off the top of my head, like I haven't looked into it thoroughly. Off the top of my head, I'd probably go Carlson at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't really fight you on it. Uh, I can't wait to see how many people vote for Shea Weber just because. <laughs> like, yeah, the legacy vote? Yes, exactly. Although I would say um, last year, some people made that comment about Dowdy, and I don't know. I I thought Drew Dowdy was pretty darn deserving of getting a Norris Trophy, but this year I'm I'm all prepared to be really upset that Hedman doesn't get it um, just because they don't make the playoffs. But if it if it is Carlson, considering the rest of their defense is pretty mediocre, and uh, the second half of the season he's had. San Jose's really kind of fallen off the table here, yeah. so Burns's production hasn't been quite what he was on pace for. Um, but he's had a special season too, uh, so either you know any of those any of those picks would probably be all right with me. Okay, well, Matt, that wraps up another episode with uh, with you on Off the Post. How can people find you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Matthew Collar, C O L L E R. So at Matthew Collar, and then. Uh, my other work when I cover the Wild or the Minnesota Vikings, if you're a football fan, is uh, 1500ESPN.com. And ESPN Insider, I'll be soon doing a analytics preview of every matchup. Perfect. All right, thanks for your time. All right, thanks a lot. 